Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I would just like to thank my staff, executive producer, Candice Sanderson, the author of The Reluctant Messenger. Also, Amanda Steele, my senior editor, author of Ghosts in Me, of Ghosts of Me, and Damien Keller. Binaural Engineer, and Jared Murphy, monthly co-host. And without further, oh, and if you're interested in becoming a contributor to this show, just go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and there's a whole bunch of information there on how you can help contribute and have your name mentioned on the show. And now, without further ado, we have Andrea Vitimus the author of Hands-On Chaos Magic. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so so this is a great topic. This is, I've covered this quite a bit. Um, So what what took you, what got you into uh, chaos magic versus some of the other more traditional forms of magic, such as like ceremonial magic or paganism? So, I mean, Obviously, like, you know, chaos magic can do those things. Fundamentally, it has an agnostic view of things. Either your magic works or it doesn't. So people can't claim authority based on previous previous knowledge. You have to prove it. And what people don't realize is I was a big skeptic when I was in high school and... By trade, I'm a computer scientist. Uh, I was going to go into biochemistry. You notice it's all hard science. Yeah. Hard science. Um, And you realize, like, most doctrines of faith require faith. They require a doctrine of faith. They, They require you to buy in with belief before any of the magic works. Chaos magic says... Do the techniques and see what happens and come to your own conclusion. Basically, the scientific method, something I could get into right away. Now, that said, we could go and take tools or we can use the belief system in paganism or ceremonial magic. And I I do a fair amount of ceremonial magic. I'm not going to lie. You know, we can use that and, and understand that we're investing our belief into the system not necessarily that the system itself is true, right? So that changes the dynamic in a lot big way. So in case my mind constructs the reality, my mind basically constructs the metaphor, and I'm investing in that system when I work with it. Now, you can argue those points too, but the more you're able to connect with a system and the empower that you can put your own belief towards the symbol set that you're working with mm-hmm. the stronger it's going to work and that all comes from basically the scientific applying the scientific magic to basically scientific method to magic right. and to spirituality as opposed to 
uh, just taking everything at face value. Like this is the way it is because mm-hmm. that's what people say. But that's that's not what chaos magic does. The only authority is the results you can get. Yeah, I mean, the origin of science itself came from magic. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean people without hermeticism, there would be no science. Yeah, I mean, people don't realize chemistry and physics basically derive from alchemy. Psychology and all of social sciences derive from ancient mystical practices of how, you know, not quite shamanic, but they're all derived from what came before. We just put a safe label on a lot of the things we use every day. So the safe label being psychology, the safe label being, you know, alchemy. But alchemists, clearly, they weren't right about how the world structured. They had a spiritual worldview. But what they contributed was the scientific method, where alchemists would then say, basically say, well, that didn't work, so let's try a different model, you know, and then let's keep refining it. You know, oftentimes, like, science is the study of very common events, whereas mysticism and magic is the study of uncommon events or, un, you know, things that don't happen as often or hmm. things that you're making happen but still right. don't happen as often as people would like to think. Or possibly mysticism is maybe the science of uncommon results and our current version of science is looking for common ways of achieving those uncommon results. Yeah. Common ways to achieve uncommon results. Although I, I, you know, to be honest, I'm fully convinced science and magic should not be a dichotomy. And that's a problem. Yes. It's a problem because it's preventing us from going much further. And People are like, oh, well, how can you say that scientific is all materialism? Except go talk to quantum <laughs> physicists. And what they're saying and where they're getting inspiration from is the Vedic text. Because there's Vedic mathemat- mathematicians. There's Vedic math in the scriptures that basically describes stuff that when a quantum physics look at it, maybe it's not exactly correct. But they're like, yeah, this whole idea of the universe might be a simulation and maybe it's just beams of light bending around or information even bending around like the vedic say mm-hmm. scientists go that sounds right actually um maybe it is just a simulation can't actually disprove that or emanations that's the classic ceremonial magic yes you like it's emanations of god mm-hmm. okay except that sounds a lot like information theory at the highest levels of physics now like okay is it light or information, it does sound sort of like emanations in a weird sort of way. Yeah. You know, I started down this road when I was really young. I was a teenager, maybe, you know, 12, 13 years old. You know, I was listening to heavy metal and Black Sabbath. And that's what got me curious about the occult and, you know, what these guys were singing about. And, you know, it was very, back then, it was a really traditional sort of, you know, you do this and do that when the planets are in certain alignments and all this, and you might get this result. And, but it still seemed mysterious in the cult. And it wasn't until the 90s when I started reading about quantum physics, I said, you know, I started thinking, like, this is all the same thing. They're they're saying the same. Th- these quantum physicists are saying the same thing that 
these, you know, that, that guys like Edward Kelly and John D were saying, or, or, uh, Eliphius Levy, um, you know, in, you know, it, it changed my perspective. And I think it was, it's really interesting to be even alive and to be, have the awareness of the two different schools in the watch, you know, magic become more of a scientific practice rather than a mystical practice. Yeah. I mean, I mean, well, I mean, mystical practice, actually, if you actually study it a lot of the times, it's very regimented. It has very much tests for yeah. whether or not you're getting the right. I mean, in the West, we have a notion of mysticism kind of like, oh, you just go and have a weekend shamanism experience, right? And that's that's mysticism. But in the East, when you start going into Shaolin monks or Qigong masters or any of those things, there is metrics. There's like clear things, clear insights that you're supposed to reach. They're different for each person, obviously, but you clearly can tell that people... There's a regimented practice. There's certain milestones that you can meet. There's scientific, not scientific tests, but there is tests. And at least with Qigong, although we don't have much of the literature here in the States, in North America, at least, not just the States, because I'm yeah. in Canada. But but in China, there's certainly peer-reviewed studies of doctors investigating the effects of Qigong and what's happening. Or it's coming out that there were it works, right? But there's also peer-reviewed studies, partially with some chakra stuff. And guess what? That works too. Right. Like where people are getting like results that doctors can measure. Mm -hmm. We can actually have a long conversation about why. But the question of whether it's happening or not, and it's all just in your head, that's sort of being resolved at least. Like it might still be in your head, but it means something radically different about reality is going on. <laughs> Right, because what's going on in, our, on in our heads is not necessarily separate from reality anymore. No, but it never was. Exactly. And that's that's we just that's sort aware. of what science. Yeah, science is sort of coming back to that. Like before, it's take the drug. I'm sure your listeners probably know about drugs. Like placebo is often more effective than a drug that gets FDA approval. And if people don't know what a placebo is, it's when they give you a sugar pill and they do a really convincing idea that it's a real drug. And they give you that to test how effective it is versus an actual drug. Mm -hmm. And more times than not, to actually pass an FDA test, you have to just be a little bit better than placebo. But more times than not with placebos, people will get nearly the same results a lot of the times. Right. As in... Just by believing the fact they have taken a pill that will heal them for this condition, they thus heal themselves from that for that condition. Right. We're talking about sugar pills, right? Mm -hmm. There's no medicine in them. It is literally fake and it works. And now scientists start going, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't treat that as a negative at all in medicine or in physics or other things. Maybe we should actually start looking at that too. Like the fact that, okay, if people believe they're going to survive, they have much more likelihood to survive. So, you know, what they should be doing maybe is when a person comes in with a severe illness, you have a hypnotherapist right there. 
basically doing guided meditations like you're going to survive mm-hmm. to get them basically mentally trained you know that they're going to survive and fight through that you know by the power of their mind yeah. i mean that's like that's that's seems so cliche to say but i mean it is that way i mean then and that's important there that's important because yeah. it works and it works both ways too it's the same thing with like yeah. self-sabotaging you know if we start thinking negative like things are not going to work or that that medicine is not going to help then that's the result that we're going to get and 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 fundamentally in most systems this is exactly why that is the exact reason that we have all these angels or gods or all these things if we think about it the whole we need them and so well i mean maybe some people don't but most people do need them right because we self-sabotage ourselves all the time. Like everyone does, yes. including myself. Everyone self-sabotage themselves. They all feel down. They feel stressed. They have negative thoughts because, you know, life gets to them. You know, in COVID, this is hard, right? Like everyone's been stuck inside or they've lost jobs or, you know, it's hard. So it gets to them. You know, they could you know, kind of, it's not just positive thinking. It is not just positive thinking. You have to put your actions, you have to get your energy, your emotions, right? You have to get it all aligned. That takes work. So sometimes you can't do that on yourself by yourself because you could do it, but you're not in the right mental or energy or your body hurts too much. So to do is you go to intermediaries to try to help out, right? That's, whether or not we believe that those spirits actually exist or we humanity has created them doesn't matter mm-hmm. because the ultimate thing is they're there because of that reason. Cause there's times that you cannot do that. You cannot just mentally get yourself. Okay. And the placebo is why like you are totally convinced in a placebo situation that it's better it'll work, right? As soon as somebody tells you it's a placebo, it goes out the window. It's not just a conscious choice. Right. It's right. The, the minute you know it's a lie, it gets harder for you to actually believe that. Mm-hmm. They're kind of pulling it full circle. Like, you know, what is like a whole scientific method, chaos, magic, all that? What are we trying to do is continuously convince ourselves of the lie, yeah. right? That the placebo works absolutely and mm-hmm. then have the magic work. We're going to get statistics, like lots of spreadsheets of results to say, yeah, guess what? Works. It works. It works. There's only so many times you can get a statistic variance, like as a scientist or somebody who's being honestly agnostic, not like I'm agnostic, but I'm really an atheist, you know? But if you're being honestly agnostic, where you actually are like, yeah, that isn't more times than not, it gets a result. You're trying to convince yourself, not of the lie, but of the fact that it's true, that the placebo is true. The result is true, right? That you've got a result. And if you do these operations, that's, it works. And it, all of this super big shows and stuff like that is really, I mean, well, we could argue about that too, which are good, but what really it's about connecting and actually moving things around in your reality. And to do that, you have to know that you can, you mm-hmm. have to believe it. Or you have to, I mean, chaos magic often will start 
and my book, Hands on Cast, like, the first part of the book is all about visualization exercises and full sensory training and building up your imagination and your focus, because most people, honestly, they don't have enough focus to do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I, I always joke, like, you know, if, if, if Hollywood actually went around with real magicians who could get weird stuff to happen, it would be so boring, right? They would record for like three hours of nothing happening and there would be like five minutes of some just phenomenal weird weirdness. It's like three hours of them just sitting focusing and that's yeah. it. I mean, like that doesn't make for a good movie. Mm-hmm. So, so would you say that that magic is focusing intention? In some ways, yeah. But sometimes, again, you have to trick your mind, right? So you're focusing your intention, but sometimes it doesn't look that way. So I've got initiated in voodoo. And what do we do in voodoo is you get possessed by spirits, right? right. You're trying to get the spirits to do stuff, intercede on your behalf. But how do you get there? Well, usually it's through massive dancing. That looks like you're not focusing, but you are, right? You're mm-hmm. focusing on the spirit. You're getting more and more symphony until you finally lose yourself. Lose yourself, aka if you are possessed, you no longer have the inner doubts. You don't have the other, all the issues you had because you're not you. Mm-hmm. Now, in classic hypnotherapy, that's not all that's going on, but this is a flight of mind, right? This is a complete dissociative experience. So that way you can appeal to the spirit to actually get the result because your, your doubts aren't there. Right. The spirit has no doubts because it's it, uh, right? And the whole culture around voodoo is reinforces that in the sociological level of the culture. Like we don't have that here, right? Where every single person is basically, even if they're not a voodoo assant, they truly believe that the spirits are real and they reinforce that. So every, so what do they do when you get possessed? It's Everyone treats it like it's absolutely real. So all of this is adding more and more and more details. What's gonna happen is whether or not the spirits are real or not, you're going to absolutely get results in that situation because you've been reinforced so many different times that this is actually it, you have an excuse for the magic to work almost. It's not you, mm-hmm. it's the spirit, right? You know, so that doesn't look like intentional work, but it kind of still is. You're giving it to a, a different type of archetype or a different type of spirit to carry out the intention. What is more important, the intention or faith? The or, or are they the same thing in some ways? I don't think so. Like, like this is where I chaos magic fundamentally would have at it with most other traditions, right? Because chaos magic is a meta tradition. It's not really a tradition in itself. It's an idea, a philosophy. Like Buddhism is sort of a philosophy and a religion, mm-hmm. but in its in its form, it's a philosophy. It's a philosophy that you know there might not. The adage is there may be no ultimate truth. So it's not just intention that matters. It's methodology. And if you're at the right state of consciousness with what you're doing. So you can have an intention all you want. But we already covered why that doesn't work. If right. you don't believe it, doesn't matter. If the ritual doesn't get you to a place that you can fully believe it, it's classic chaos magic. We call that gnosis, you know, or trance state or 
meditative state or an excitatory state where you're like not able to rationally think. I'd go as far to say usually for most people, if they're able to fully vocalize things, as in speak normally, they probably haven't gotten there, right? Because that's all higher level brain functions. You're trying to shut down the higher, the doubt, the higher level questioning, the higher level thought processes to kind of let the intention go through. Now, faith is not necessary, right? And if no one believe, doesn't believe, if anyone wants to try that out, there's a few exercises. Like signals are great. That's in the book, Hands of Casement. Mm -hmm. We can find it online. So, you know, I'd, I'd like you to buy my book, but you can find it online and anywhere about how to do sigils. And you'll see some sex magic sigils, right? Like self-masturbation sigils. Weirdly enough, the idea is the same. If you get to the point where your mental processes shut down uh, totally and can hold a sigil in mind, something will happen. Amazing. Now, that said, there's a lot to get to that point, right? Like being able to focus to the point that you're ready to pass out. <laughs> That's what it takes, right? Because like right. we're talking about if you're dancing so statically in a voodoo ritual, you, you have to be able to get to the point that you can carry yourself to the point you pass out, even when mm -hmm. you're attuning to the spirit. If you're doing sigil magic, you know, you have to be able to focus if you're doing Buddhist work or if you're dancing, you got to be able to focus, like not Buddhist work, but mindful meditation, right. focus meditation. You may be able to focus on the seal until there is nothing else, right. just the seal, right? In your, and that's it. You know, and if you're doing like ecstatic methods, you have to focus even though all this stuff is going around and you mentally are not in the normal reality that you would be in. It's essentially like a novel. Every ritual is like a story. You either buy the story or you don't. There's a start, there's a middle. The lead in to the characters and what's going on is either believable or it's not. And that's what your subconscious mind is doing. It's like, are you at the point at which you can't add doubt? Have you suspended all doubt? That is the point at which it takes to make all this work. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't sound like faith. But now when we talk about faith, faith can assist with that, right? Because if you have faith, the threshold for that goes lower. And if you think about it, it's because basically you have doubt suspended much earlier. You know, if you really have faith, uh -huh. maybe you could just do that. But that's usually not what happens. Although an interesting thing, you know, who the majority of people who have demonic possessions are, right? in all the cases from the Vatican and that are more verified. Mm -hmm. No, I don't know. Hardcore Christians, <laughs> fundamental hardcore Christians. Because they believe. Because they believe. And their whole, this gets to the whole culture around those communities as well, support that happening. So it's not unlike what happens in Haiti with the voodoo, mm -hmm. right? Everyone believes the possession's real. They have social support to actually construct both an inner and outer reality in the social sphere to say this is actually happening continuously you know so in those situations faith might work but more often than not people don't have enough faith to make that work mm -hmm. so it's easier to actually do 
the methods and then get faith through basically the fact that you keep getting results. Right. So so all these different methods, like like for for instance, like voodoo, which used the dancing. Um, I guess the Native Americans sort of used the dancing too. Um, yeah. Or like in Kundalini yoga, you're using like, you know, really heavy breathing and uncomfortable postures mm-hmm. to kind of like, make, almost like to the point where you're ready to pass out, to have like some type of awakening or connection. Mm-hmm. All, all, all these things are, they're just different modalities to reach the same state or, or using drugs, even like ayahuasca. The thing is they, they, they don't all reach the same state. <clears throat> you definitely are trying to reach a different than normal consciousness, like right. Kundalini drugs. They all go to different places, all places that you can do use and effectively create magic from, but they're not the same. Like, so each, I mean, now that I've been doing magic more years, I wish I would have put this in my book, but not every state like relates to every possible outcome. Mm-hmm. So some states are because the state doesn't really gel with what you're trying to bring about an intention. So if we go back to that story piece, it's like the parts of the story don't fit. So, you know, certain types of magic, certain types of things like maybe they just don't gel. Like maybe a Buddhist ritual doesn't quite get you excitement in the public sphere for your podcast. Right. Too still, right? It just, and you have to work that out for yourself in some cases. Like other people will be able to use that methodology, but maybe you can't because it just doesn't mentally gel. It's like for you, the story just doesn't put all the, it doesn't cross all the I's and mm-hmm. it doesn't dot all the P's, you know, it just doesn't, just doesn't work. Because the story doesn't work of the ritual. Right. You might get in the right place, but it's like, you know, for people who do substances like perhaps ketamine, which is very tied to death, might help you commune with the dead. But if you're trying to bring prosperity, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. Right. Because the the type of vibe that the state has takes you out of normal consciousness, but you don't really mm-hmm. it doesn't really completely match what you're trying to do. Right, that makes sense. Like a Buddhist ritual definitely probably wouldn't be like the best thing to use for prosperity because Buddhism itself, the philosophy is more about letting go of those type of ideas rather than attaching to them. So you would probably want to use some other type of method. Although you can do it, right? Right. I'm, like that's, I'm that's sure it's possible, about, but it's... It takes a clever hand, right? You have to kind of set up the ritual narrative in a way that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Then it also depends. There are some Buddhist gods of wealth that they can do okay. Right. I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah. I guess if you're going to approach like, like, like say like you're going to do a Buddhist ritual for prosperity, the prosperity would have to be to like the ends of like some type of compassion. Then the story would make sense. It would. If you need compassion in Buddhism, Right, like if your story has to have that component, yeah. Like no other forms of Buddhism, spirits seem more like vending machines. I mean, like you just appeal to them and they work. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you don't have money, it's not compassionate, right? Because right. you're suffering. Uh, like so, you can appeal that way. That's what I meant by clever hand. You have to, you have to fit the story together. Mm-hmm. The ritual tells a story. And if you actually study 
if you if you, chaos magic takes that meta view, like I was saying, like where you're switching between different paradigms to try to get the structure of magic down. Um, but if you're a ceremonial magic, right, you have a certain narrative that's part and partial of a whole paradigm that you can use then to actually build out the results you working with the angels or mm-hmm. planetary forces like that narrative is what you have to be clever about in how you're asking or how you're doing the ritual and how you're connecting and what clever even with what the intention is kind of you have to kind of think in terms of that paradigm in the system you're working with right. to try to understand what's going on now that's why I said like again, chaos magic basically looks at all the systems. You mm-hmm. still, as a chaos magician, you have to understand the system well enough to understand how you're asking right. to put together that narrative. It's, story seems like it's a bad word, but I think everyone will understand when I say a ritual is a story. You know, if I could draw better than I can, or I had anime artist, some of the ritual experiences that I had would make great anime. Mm-hmm. once you get going because the subjective experience plays out like a story you know every single time like but that's not what other people see that's just how you you experience once you get the story going your mind's going to want to finish the story yeah but um back to the prosperity like say you know like which what feel which is going to work better without having to be clever, for example. Like, like let's like, like say like, you know, I'm not a clever guy, and I always want something to work, you know, and I want I prosperity, mean, and I'm going to choose between a Buddhist ritual, for instance, versus like a goetic ritual. Well, I think I'm a goetic ritual goetic would make more right? sense, yeah. right? I'm going to choose the goetic ritual, ninety percent of the time. Yeah. <laughs> But not that 10%, right? Because that that depends too. Like if you have somebody who is fundamentally opposed to that because they hear the word demon, that whole paradigm won't work with them. It just won't, right? And if people have had real powerful previous experiences, let's say at, at an event or something like that with some spirit like Quinn Yen, that could be used for prosperity, but they already have positive associations going in. So it really does depend, right? Like, yeah, I would basically go to Goetia route with particular spirits on top of that because it's not just like one thing. right? Uh, but as soon as somebody's afraid of the word demon, the whole paradigm should be off limit, right? Unless you're able to keep going through that fear. And that could be a very powerful ritual, actually. That could get you to the right place. Um, that fear, the, 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 the terror kind of of going in and doing that, um, but that takes a level of focus. That's again, like, can you ride through that to get to the end of that story where you right. are controlling that demon? Now, it's a more it exciting like story really. though, because you have a you you have be. a shadow sort of that you're overcoming. Right. It could be a more exciting story, although if you really get into tantric Buddhism, like those Buddhist hells are not something to screw around with. They're pretty <laughs> scary, actually. Like, once you start doing tantra work where you and the hell are one and you have to elevate yourself through the hells, mm-hmm. pretty scary, actually. Uh, as in jarring, scary, all the things that you would think the Goetia word right is, you get that and it's worse because you realize that's you. 
you are in the hell. <laughs> part of you is the hell. Right. Really frightening, but powerful. But yeah, usually the Goetia, if people have hangups, you can actually work it. On the flip side of that, too, if you have too many hangups with the Goetia, what happens? The magicians who use the ceremonial methods is they skip one word and think the demon's going to, you know, basically hurt them. And what happens? Bad luck. Yeah. That's also a story. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So that was the story, right? Oh, I missed a word. And then what happens is they're, they get in the right state. They're freaking out. And then bad luck hits them. Hmm. Because that's also a different story. That's also part of the issue of the story of the rituals and how it applies with intention. Now, you, well, somebody listening would say, well, they summon an uh, entity for this purpose to get money, let's say. And then uh, they gave the intention, but it didn't work out. But really, the intention, all that mattered was the intention when they freaked out. Mm -hmm. Right. That was it. That was the loudest signal at that point. Okay. You're worried about controlling the demon. You don't have any confidence that you can control the demon. And all what happens is that fear is the signal. The demon doesn't isn't controlled. So it mucks with your life, just like right. you expect. You know, like because that's part of the story. Mm -hmm. That's the horror story. That's literally the the script of most horrors movies right but that like, could that be but, but it can also be turned around though like you can come out the hero like like you know like you, if you, you know at, at some point you overcome that demon and you gain control of that demon you could but that requires you to step back into the ring yeah and if people get bad luck how many people actually do that right so that requires a difference like life story right which gets to I think an interesting thing we're talking around, like which is desire of result, mm -hmm. right? The whole point of doing these kind of weird theatrical things and crazy things is to get past this desire of result because you will talk yourself out of what you should get. You know, like what we talked about, you'll sabotage yourself. Um, and a negative result isn't necessarily a non-result. Now, most people would say, oh, well, uh, negative it was bad that means something happened yeah that's it's a cool. result right that's information it's you still got a result. result it wasn't totally what you expected and if this was a goetia situation you should completely get back on that horse and not give in to that entity like you go back on the horse to complete the hero's journey like you're describing right that's yeah. the story if you come through the other side, what is the story that occurs for you? You will gain a confidence in your magic. But right. most people don't see those first couple of rituals as information, mm -hmm. right? When we're talking about statistics and spreadsheets, that's exactly it, right? That's uh -huh. trying to decondition the desire results. It either worked or it didn't. Okay, but if it didn't work. Most, and most things, people screw up the first couple of times you try anything anyway. Exactly. No matter what most it people is. Ask for the wrong, <laughs> but most people for magic ask for the wrong things when they're first starting out. What are they asking for? Okay, you're just starting out with this new skill. It's like if it was piano, you wouldn't be expected to play Mozart or mm -hmm. Flight of the Bumblebee, which is really hard on piano. You're not going to be able to play that off the bat. Maybe you could play the, you know, couple notes. And that's about it. Most people go right for the jugular when they start magic. Like, well, let's ask for a new love. Let's ask for cash. Let's ask for a job, right? 
you don't have the skills like mm-hmm. if you're trying to like broadcast to the universe and you're fighting yourself right most people again you're fighting yourself on all those things if it was easy if you didn't have some things holding you back in any of those fronts it would be trivial you wouldn't need magic for it right right you would just it would just fall into line for you you know in greater magic basically you're trying to change yourself mm-hmm. so that way it's you don't need to do magic you just have to keep changing yourself and it's just easy right, right? and that's the other myth that I want to dispel about magic. It isn't that you just do the magic and that's the result. Everything we're talking about is like, you know, initially we're talking about psychology, alchemy and science and all this stuff. Like, what do you have to do if you do magic, right? Well, okay, you got in the right state of mind, but the story has to be congruent after the fact too. And what does that mean? Well, if you had a pr- experience where weird stuff happened in the middle of ritual for you, you have to live your life as if weird stuff happened and reality has changed. Mm-hmm. Because if it, you don't, basically, your subconscious mind assumes that it's not true and over tries to overwrite the energy. That's one way to put it. It basically tries to counter it because it assumes that that wasn't true, that what you did didn't happen, that you're just nothing changed. Okay, nothing changed. That's the message. And so right. if you do job spell, you got to go out and apply. You got to go try to do resume work. You got to try to go do, you know, interviews. You got to get your skills on those interviews better. Like if you're trying to do a new love in your life, you got to go out and try to meet people, you know, maybe get some coaching on your approach, all these kind of things, like all the things you normally do, but you're doing that with a different, with the kind of synchronicity and luck going your way that will have it work out uh-huh. so it's not like you just stop doing what you normally do you're just doing more of it or more you're more inspired to do it in different ways that make it work better you know one of my first experiences was something working i was young i was like maybe in my 20s and uh and it, i don't know you know i was sort of dead and out i didn't have any money and i, I was hungry i needed cigarettes you know, so I kind of did like this little magic spell to try to get some money and some cigarettes. And you know, obviously, you know, at that time still, I kind of expected something to magically appear out of thin air. And it didn't. And I said, screw it. I'm going to go cut my grass. So I'll go out front. I mow my yard. My neighbor's yard needed mowing too. So I did it. And when I finished, she came out and gave me a, a hoagie and a pack of cigarettes. And I was like, damn, it actually did work. That's how it actually kind of works, I think. More often than not, yeah. I mean, if you want weird stuff to happen, you have to work really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that's more often than not exactly what it has. Unless you're trying to do stuff like you're trying to actually get people to see that reality is more fluid. Those things are... Uh, the big showy things are parlor tricks. It's what everyone wants to see. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter. What's more important? Your ritual, mm-hmm. maybe you think nothing happens and you get a job for X number of thousand dollars. That's not parlor tricks. Right. You know, when somebody's in the hospital, you basically do a healing. Maybe they're not 100%, but they go from critical care to okay. You know, like they're going to make it. You know, they don't magically get out of the hospital, usually. Mm -hmm. I mean, but 
they make it, you've changed the shifted the odds and probably shorten the time by right. a lot. Yeah, it, it, it may make it quicker. And, um, you know, one of the things like, like with the intention and the story is, and you mentioned, you know, the work, the work, like it has to be backed up somehow. And the work does is, is a huge factor in backing up the intention, the spell. It, it, it's the glue that I think ties the whole thing together. And I think that's it where is. a lot of people kind of fall apart. Right. They do ritual like it's a magic pill. I mean, we're talking about magic, but it, magic is a magic pill, right? Mm -hmm. It gives you the synchronicities, but everything else has to be there. And now that said, you can do magic and everything falls in line where it just seems like it's, oh my, oh my, this is awesome. But usually that belies a whole lot of preparation work that occurred before you even did a ritual. Right. Like, you know, you did the ritual after you already redone to job wise, let's put it that or prosperity wise, you're already doing stuff on Facebook to get new clients or you're already doing this and it just seems to work better. So there's still a lot of preparation work that occurred and people want to somehow separate like, oh, let's go petition the gods right now. Mm -hmm. but you haven't done anything to make it happen. So what then, of course. You know, the answer there is, well, the gods didn't want me to have that. It's not necessarily true. It's you have to be in the right place, too. You have to be doing the work, right, uh, all the way through. And then that gives, then you get the extra push of the synchronicities after you do the magical operations because things start to fall in line to right. make that happen. The more you're working against something or the heavier lift, the greater the magic has to be to counter that. Mm -hmm. And you are countering that. So it means if you're totally diametrically opposed to something, you need it, right? Like that you're angry at somebody and you're trying right. to do a healing for them. The lift has to be higher, aka you're going to have to go even further into gnosis to get you out of the way to even be able to do that, mm -hmm. right? Because you're get, you would otherwise get in the way most of the time, you wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, you just wouldn't be able to do it. Right. You know, with job stuff, more often than not, I think I saw a statistic that 70% of people hate their jobs, more or less. That sucks. Right? I mean, if you hate the current job you have, mm -hmm. it means that a job spell is more difficult uh, because you're enchanting for something that you hate means you have to go much further much further down the line um, to make it happen, even if you need it, right? Then you're starting to balance need versus, you know, what you like and all that kind of stuff. Right. You still have to go further. But some people, I have interviewed two, two magicians who have um, physically manifested entities like one was I've, uh, I've physically manifested entities. Yeah. And, I, I just think that that's parlor tricks. Mm -hmm. Like one of them was Lon Milo Duquette. And I'm trying to look up this yeah. other guy's name. Oh, here it is. Ben Kane. Well, Lon, I just had on our podcast. So Did you? I, I know a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. So and, and, and Ben Kane had done it. He was telling me about it. So, I mean, we, we can talk about that. I've certainly manifested entities. 
a manifested entity with other people watching, which is a little bit harder for a lot of reasons. So it's not just me saying, I can go get some people in the house that I live in right now. Mm-hmm. They would come and say, yeah, that, that happened. Uh, and they could describe the situation that it happened in. Uh, did that make the end result better? Maybe. Did it make for a cool story for other people to tell? Yeah. <laughs> yes. But did it fundamentally make my life more meaningfully better? No, because I got the result anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think this is a case where Lon would come on the show and agree with me 100%. Oh, absolutely. Right? He would. That doesn't matter. It happened. Right. Now, granted, uh, I've done experiments where with paranormal investigators, we're trying to make that happen. Mm-hmm. More often than not, we can get something to happen. Maybe not a visual. Um, maybe not a visual, full visual hallucination. Well, no, they can get full visual hallucination. That's easy. We were trying to actually do camera hallucinations. We could get like camera to act weird and temperature changes and environmental changes that we measured, ghost hunters measured uh, through some of the work. So that's all possible consistently. So going back to the scientific, you know, you can measure those things you get a weird temperature thing in a spot that shouldn't be, that is measurable and mm-hmm. manifested um, entity. So, yeah, I mean, done that. It's cool. And, you know, done that with the ghost hunters, too. It's true. You can do it. Um, Still there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I think my mic has good settings because it goes quiet. It does. It goes real quiet. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not yeah. sure when a person's finished speaking. Um, so, so when you do, like, what have you manifested? Like, is, was it like you know an actual entity, like, like where you could see it? The people that could see it, yeah. yeah. So that was a fairy ritual, and they could actually physically see it. Yeah. Wow. Um, uh, there's been other rituals with Goisha that they you could you physically could see. The spirit and everyone could see the spirit literally in the flames mm-hmm. like it wasn't like you could take a picture and see it's got the horns the wings everything you know that ha- that's pretty easy other times like uh you the fairy times there's been a couple times with fairies that i've been able to manifest them that people would see a figure um in the woods hmm. where we were doing right so so with you know, galactic magic and fit, elemental magic, all these different types of entities. Um, like, what are they exactly? Do you, are some of these entities older than the human race itself? Do some of these entities are just there to support nature, like to help trees grow or help matter stay together? Is is there any yeah, order to it all? That depends. Uh, what system of belief you have that day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I do think from my personal experience, there are some entities that do seem older than humans. So they're tough to they're tough to connect with. As in the magician has to not be able to shift their mind into a very non-human state. That takes practice. Because we're humans. Yeah. Right. So to be able to an alien consciousness and shift into an alien consciousness to interact with them. 
that is not necessarily within the bounds of human psychological experiences, it, it does take some work. Um, those kind of entities, and basically I think our universe is probably weirder than people want to realize. <laughs> like, it's probably weirder, stranger, less exciting and more exciting than most people realize. Like, when you're talking about the spirits, like, well, are they in your head? Yeah. Are they outside of your head? Evidence suggests, yeah. Can they work without that? Very few, but there are some. And, you know, what does it take to get there? A lot. Like, again, it's like, what kind of consciousness are you actually breaking your mind to fit into to be able to connect? Um, but almost anything, if you think about it, the planets, they're out in the sky, but yet people have anthropomorphized them and communicated and gotten good results, right? Are they connecting that? Are they going to change a planet? Probably not. Are they connecting the energy? Well, maybe, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's all things that are in the universe. And if we look at the universe, are we connecting to what we understand as a spirit or is it connected to something else? And we're just putting a mask on it because we need that mask. We need to understand it a certain way to actually communicate with something that by its nature wouldn't otherwise not be able to communicate with us because it's not human centric. Like, mm. So at that point, we put it, we call these things spirits that we're trying to communicate with. Are they just there? And we're trying to, our brains work in a way to communicate with them by making them like us enough like us that we can at least get the messages back and forth right you still have to build an interface in your mind to make that happen mm -hmm. and you know i've been trying and failing to write a fairy book for like 10 years not because i don't have a lot of experience with it but and not because i don't but because it's like well what do you say about these experiences that are outside the corpus of normal human experiences set that up you have to do a whole training regimen Right. of how to get into alien consciousnesses like so people have to spend two years on a book that's a fairy magic book like that has nothing to do with fairy magic for two years of work and then get to the last part where you're like okay now we're going to try to do something so to do fairy magic do you have do you have to kind of like maybe like say you want to connect to like a plant like fairy do you want to try to get into the same state of consciousness as a plant Yes, that's that would be what I would argue is the best way to do it. Like, or the most powerful. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of people will just leave offerings and get fine, fine results just by leaving offerings and trying to do the ritual repetitively until they can get it down. But yes, if you can get into the, the state of consciousness of the plant itself, even though it's very alien from a person, I think you get miraculous, miraculous results. You know, Herbs by themselves, like everyone uses herbs for healing, lots yeah. of people. But if you can get into the actual state of mind uh, and uh, augment the herbs that you're working with in its original spiritual form, you know, not what we get in the stores, all of a sudden that herb takes on a life of its own, much more powerful than it normally would. And you can get miraculous healings just through that, right? Right. If you just do rituals over the top of the herbs, 
they might have some energy, they might have some mm. effect, but nowhere near what you can get if you can get into the state of consciousness. And of the plant that has a spirit. Now, is that personifiable as a person? Not really. Like it'll come off that way, but but if you could get real contact there and kind of call back the spirit of the plant, you can mm -hmm. augment the results you can get several fold. Uh, that is kind of a type of fairy magic, although it doesn't seem as Victorian, right? Like, because the Victorian images of, you know, although everyone thinks about Tinkerbell as like the absolute fairy, mm -hmm. people forget that Tinkerbell was evil in, in Peter Pan. She sold out the Lost <laughs> Boys. Everyone forgets. Like, but even that, you have the Disney and Victorianization, mm -hmm. both angels and fairy spirits, but even the plant example we gave, that is kind of a real type of thing you would do in conjure, you do it in voodoo, you do it in many traditions, you know, and, and I would consider that part of the kind of corpus of what I was trying to talk about is taking on the plant consciousness to boost the level in of the dried or actual plant you have for a magical purpose beyond what you normally would get with the herbs alone. If you can connect to that consciousness and really connect, mm -hmm. even simple herbs will have miraculous, miraculous changes because they're much, the amplification is much greater. Wow. So, so how would, like, for example, you try to change your consciousness to match that of, of, uh, of mint? Of a what? Of like a mint plant. Well, mint, I happen to like. So I love easy. mint, too. <laughs> right? I mean, my daily shower routine uses Dr. Bonner's peppermint, sour mint. That's how much I like the mint, right? So you have to study the plant, but not academic study, not academically study, right? You, you can use that. You study a little bit about the plant. You know where to find it. You know the different types of mints. Then you have to actually sit with it, taste it, smell it. You know, write down your experiences of all those things. Keep working and meditating with those experiences and with the plant itself until you kind of just get it. You have to rock it. That doesn't happen. It's not an intellectual process. Mm -hmm. It is, but it's not. You're continuously connecting with intention to this plant and experiencing all facets of the plant until you kind of make a breakthrough with one plant. And when you make that breakthrough, then you can use mint for all kinds of things, hmm. um, like the calming effects, the energizing effects, peppermint, all that. You know, after you do this with a couple of plants, you get to be able to connect to them much faster and be able to actually, the process goes faster as you get more experience. Right. But it's a, it's a process of, you, you can read the book, mint does X, Y, and Z on the internet. That's what it says. But until you actually have experienced and made a breakthrough where it's not just words on the page, it doesn't matter. You have to make mint part of you <laughs> to actually connect to mint and the different strains of mint will react very differently. But you have to make it part of you before you can actually interact with it on a spiritual level. Right. And then at that point, that's a process of you're continuously, like I said, using all your five senses, if we use like NLP, which is a great tool. Um, but you, know, you keep doing that until you're getting energy effects. And you keep doing that until you can actually pull forward. Now, one of the interesting things on the side is you could do this with certain 
illicit substances, and that's great for parties. Because mm-hmm. then once you can connect to the entity, you're connected to that vibe, the bell, and amplifying it, you can actually get people kind of flipping or doing other stuff just by the vibe. Mm-hmm. It takes practice. I'm not saying you do this tomorrow and you're done. It's like you have to, it has to be part of you, right? Your mind has to expand to include that as part of you before it can go before you can go forward and meaningfully do that. Now interesting. For most people, they'll probably be like, oh, that that just sounds like so much work. Uh <laughs> but it has like this, really this it has yeah. like a, almost like a Dallas type of uh thing too, like be one with the mint or right. Well, I mean but or be one no with the one bug. Thinks of it as bought Taoism, but it is shamanic, right? Yeah. But when I've seen actually conjure people, which is, you know, um, African American magic, like people who are really good at conjure work will also do this. They will get, they will grok the stuff they're working with to the point that it's part of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they might not say it that way, but it is. You can tell, like. They have expanded themselves to that it includes that plant is included in who they are. I mean, that says a lot about herb magic, which we weren't originally talking about, but you know, that's another thing. I should write a book on this. But I mean, really, if you're going to do herb magic, you'll find out there's certain herbs you can work with, there's certain herbs you can't. It's because of which things can you actually absorb and be have that become part Mm -hmm. of you. If you can't, Accept that fully, you got to work at it. And that is a process of self-change until you can. You know, like for instance, like I used to have a real problem with rue. And rue is generally a medieval and uh, European prosperity herb. Just felt like rue was a rude plant. (laughs) Like just brutal, rude, vicious plant. You go to it for money and it's like, get off your ass okay well but you know you could change part of yourself and actually understand that that's just information but then it's a process of continuously working through that it's a little tougher when you get answers like that um you know you have to work at it to understand why are you interpreting this plant that doesn't have a human consciousness in this way Mm -hmm. it's you it's you and that's preventing you from actually utilizing it in its fullest ma- magical capability because you can't accept the plant and you right. as part of you, inside of you, right? Like you're rejecting part of it. No, this is the same truth in small letters that you have to do what we were discussing with Goetia, or the same mm-hmm. truth with anything. If you're so afraid of the demon that you can't work with it, then you can't go further until we talked about the hero's journey, but it's really what's going on is you have to be able to accept it as at least temporarily, part of yourself to meaningfully work with it. Right. And does anyone want to admit that a demon's part of them? Do they really want to admit that? That's the point at which you get it at these things actually work better. Right. Like, okay, there's part of me completely resonant with this thing. Mm -hmm. Now, this thing is not nice. That's okay because human beings are conflicted, complex beings. Right. Yeah. Like I, I don't have a problem with demons because I like sex, drugs, rock and roll, and fighting way too much. 
Well, there you go. <laughs> so I definitely kind of resonate with, with that. And, and I also understand, for me, it's just, it's all just a part of nature. It's part of the whole. And that whole, I think at some point, is just part of one thing. And I don't know what that one thing is. I have no idea. I don't even know if it's intelligent or not. But um, one of the things I was going back to the, to the men and the, and the healing herbs is, is the fairy entity that's connected with certain herbs part of what makes it healing? You know, I think herbs have, I think voodoo has the best analogy for this. Like herbs have a natural energy. And my experimentation with lots of herbs, they have their own natural energy. There's the natural energy of the herb, which we would, you know, in Eastern thought, call that sheep, right? Mm -hmm. But also in Eastern thought, there's something called essence or spirit. And in Buddha, you say the plant has an ashe, and that ashe is the spirit of the plant. So you start off with the energy of the plant. Most people start with the energy of the plant. Makes the plant has some natural energy to it because it's a natural thing. It had she, it's got a vibration, a certain, you know, a certain tone, as it were. But if you get the ashe, where you can go back to the actual spirit of the plant, you can multiply the energy of the plants mm -hmm. many fold. So this is, I think that even though, like, I think they're very similar when we talk about fairy magic and voodoo. I, I find them to be intimately connected, yeah. actually, in a lot of ways, because you're dealing with the spirits in this way and you're treating the, the herb magic very differently, right? So if you can really connect to the consciousness of that plant, you can get to the ashe. And at that point, you're magnifying things. You know, is that a fairy spirit? It depends on how we want to classify what is fairy spirits or what right. is plant spirits and all that. We're getting into definitions, but... Mm -hmm. There is this thing that is kind of greater than the plant materials energy itself that we can touch in my experience. So remember, we're talking chaos magic, there may not be any truth. So I'm saying from my experience, it's consistent there that you can do this kind of thing with plants. Yeah. Um, and it's there. And I can use stuff like chrysanthemum, which in traditional Chinese medicine has very limited uh, respiratory benefits. I can use it to cure people who barely breathe from flus just because I have a resonance with that herb. I can really connect with it. And that's just how it is when you can really connect with an herb. You can use um, herbs to do that. Like when you watch people actually do, like I said, contra work or voodoo work and they're mad, fa uh, mad basin, like, you know, basically they come through, they do the herbs and you can see them actually really connect to it you can and they really do massive healings now that's not mm -hmm. everyone maybe it's one out of a thousand people who actually do that you know i strive to do that all the time with what i'm doing work but you can see it and you know the difference right away once you see somebody who can do that with the herbs it's very different the juice that a herb has uh once it's done and you can do this with like simple stuff too like fruit stuff like that again those fruits are medicine too. They have, or herb, they're basically a type of herb. So plants, mm -hmm. right, the, that change the dynamic of, of the energy coming in by a vast amount. Right. So it, and it, that to me is actually the, actually the biggest evidence is that experience that there's maybe in the fairy kind of world, something else out there. 
that is not necessarily tied to humans. You know, that that's the evidence that it would bring. Is my experience doing that kind of magic uh, for that purpose? Hmm. Would you say that this is true with everything, with all physical matter? Yeah, in a way it is. I mean, you could probably do this with crystals as well. Uh, you know, certainly with streams and rivers, you know, there's so many myths. And I've had experiences where if you can get deep enough, it's there. But it probably even to the point of stars, I've had mm -hmm. that experience, like where you're connecting in that deep of fashion, that maybe there's a deeper component to them that you can connect to. Now, again, with the skeptics who are listening, the alternative is that we're just getting deep enough into trance state that we have a, a much deeper experience of intention. That's fair too. Yeah. I, I don't know. My, my view is, is, is all that is at play. It's, you know, there's, there's the trance state and there's the, you know, it's like the old adage as above, so below. And that's sort of how I look at it. W would you agree with something like that? A lot of days I would. Yeah. Right? Like, except the as above and below, you know, is it above and below or is it sidestep or is it? Or inside, outside. Or inside, <laughs> outside. Which is it? Like, which is inside and which is outside? Oh, we don't really know. <laughs> we don't. That is actually the issue that I have with most of pure ceremonial magic. magic. It's like, what is inside and outside? To me, it's getting tougher and tougher to figure that out. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty experienced, right? Like, you could make stuff like servers, and then other people could see them. Psychics can see your literal creation. You created it out of thin air. It's an artificial spirit. You programmed it. You made it. And then you call it, you evoke it, and someone's sensitive, and they can describe what it looks like. How did that happen? It's inside, it was inside your head. Right. But then it's not, right? Likewise, like, same thing. Other people can build thought forms and you could perceive them. I mean, there's so many examples of, is it inside or outside? Mm -hmm. Now, in very, very old shamanism, I don't think they did saw a difference, right? Mm -hmm. You have spirits the same. inside your head. You could have spirits outside your head. You got spirits in and outside your head at the same time. They didn't really have the this guardian like you have to have it clear cut. Like yeah. Like that's that's modern Western science. Like mm -hmm. hardcore Taoism, like we, we mentioned, and probably wouldn't have that separation. Shamanism wouldn't have that separation. Right. You know, they just wouldn't see it as a either or. They would see it as, you know, maybe it's Yes, no, both, maybe. Mm -hmm. You know, what works better for you right now to describe it? Right. I know one of the other topics that you touch on is like pop culture magic. And I have a guest on regularly who who practices that. And it, it, and it connects to what we're talking about, is taking something that's in pop culture and basically making it serve a... A purpose like taking that energy of something of a pop culture icon or whatever and and using that energy because that's fundamentally it is what are you saying there like is that existing by itself mm -hmm. now people will argue this fact but the belief you have about a spirit 
and its efficacy has a lot to say about whether or not it'll be efficacy. If you can believe and put enough belief behind a pop magic icon, it can work to get magical results. Right. But most people cannot separate out pop magic from myth. They think it's fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. And the, the context is a little different because we have this notion of make-believe and fiction that maybe in Greek times they didn't quite have, even though they clearly were making some stories up on the fly. The boards, bards get drunk. They're like, ah, let's tell this great story about this God here, right? It's entertainment. But it's entertainment in the spiritual holy context. Now we have entertainment that's completely divorced mm -hmm. and commoditized from any kind of spiritual input. So we think the stories are absolutely untrue. That is the belief people bring to it. But you can certainly get uh, pop magic things to work. But characters, pop magic characters, like ancient demons or grimoire things, have a personality. Right. right. You, if you know what the pop culture entity is, you know kind of how it will react. Right. So if you're asking for something it cannot do, it it's probably not going to work. You know, I mean, uh, I'm familiar with other people who do pop magic, and you know, it's always the argument you get into, like, well, this can't work as good as, say, a, a entity. Well, there is a lot of cultural uh, support for a lot of people working with, like, say, the Greek gods. Certainly, I've had reasonably good expectations and work with certain entities uh, that were pop culture, especially mm -hmm. stuff like, I mean, some stuff like you, once you get out of Western pop culture, it gets even harder to determine what's going on. For instance, Pokemon. Mm -hmm. I taught whole classes on doing Pokemon. All the adults in the class had issues with it. You know who didn't have issues with it and said understood it was absolutely real? All the children in the class. Right. And they actually, several of those children reported back to me and actually got results. Huh. But it gets confusing because Pokemon are loosely based off of Shinto spirits in Japan. So now it gets confusing because you've got a mask for older myth in some cases. Mm -hmm. And even some most fiction, you know, to get all Joseph Campbell on things has a mask to certain archetypes that we're well familiar with. Right. Uh, the hero's journal, you mentioned some of that, like the ancient magician that you summon, the wise sage, they're all masks, which perhaps, you know, when we get into arguments of whether or not this is going to work or not, there's a simple argument that we're already pulling from a cultural well of shared symbols, and then we're just evoking those symbols. The pop culture magic can really work. Like, but it depends on your ability to invest belief in those pop culture things as something more than fiction. Mm -hmm. So some of those are easy. Like I've done work with darker entities on those pop culture officials that got really, like I said, really good results. Like when you summon, if you try to go through and treat a Cenobite, which is Hellraiser, right. as if it was an actual Gothic spirit, you get amazingly good results. You have to go through it and treat it like that. When you treat the Pokemon like nature, little nature spirits that have certain powers, you have to treat it that way. You know, when you summon Batman to go like F up a, you know, a criminal that is causing problems, mm -hmm. you have to actually believe that Batman exists. At least believe that if Batman doesn't exist in this reality, he exists in a closer reality, and that Batman can thus have the terms of spiritual kind of 
affect things the way other spirits can do. And that's a meta belief to make it work. Right. You have to actually be able to accept that that is true. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you cannot accept that, it's not true. Now, more often than not, everyone who says that it doesn't work cannot accept that that is true. Mm-hmm. That that Batman can work in a way analogous to a spirit, even though it's clearly a, a kind of archetype of like Hades or another yeah. type of Greek god, you know, like or Superman as a solar god. I mean. But if you can't accept it because that fiction because the fictional barrier is too great for you, it won't work. Right. So it totally can work, but it requires this flexibility of thought that means reality is way weirder than you thought. Like mm-hmm. the fact that you can call it to existence something from a comic book or a fiction and have it work is way scarier and cooler than many people want to accept. Right. Yeah. My, my first encounter with it was definitely like the Necronomicon. Right. And that's. Although people don't uh, now, you'd see so much on Cthulhu magic, you'd not realize that Cthulhu is a completely fictional paradigm. It <laughs> yeah. never existed. It's fiction. Although, is it fiction? It's debatable too. Where do the people pull the ideas from? Again, right. where are artists pulling their ideas from? Is it out there existing someplace and they're just writing it down? That's also another information kind of universe. Right. It is imagination theory. channeling. Magic. Right. It's imagination channeling. You get to easy explanations to make this stuff work. Like, yeah, okay, imagination's just channeling something that already exists somewhere. And then they're putting stylistic concerns on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once you can accept that as a possible explanation, it gets easy to make stuff like this work. Right. right? That's that's a creative flexibility leap in thinking mm-hmm. to make that kind of shift. Right. Like I like to think that if if I can imagine it most likely or or it, in actuality, it exists somewhere in this universe because it's so big. Right. And once you get there, pop fiction makes pop culture magic makes a lot of sense. If if it's not just a matter of if it exists out there it gets back to the discussion of in and out. You've mm-hmm. now defined it in a way based on how you're defining reality that it can now use all the methods that spirits work. Right. And this is way more controversial in cold circles than most people would ever. Well, actually, five minutes on Facebook, you see the flame work over this topic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it really comes a, a down to... just love to argue. <laughs> that's, that's it. But it, I've never it seen anything like it. I, I because you know you do magic and you, you get a little bit of ego because you're moving reality around you know how it's right? <laughs> that's the, but I mean really this is the fundamental issue it's like is myth functionally different than our modern fiction yes but not in the way people think it's because the societal constraints around them are different if you can decondition some of the societal constraints you change the dynamic of how you interact with fic- those fictional characters. So again, I'm going back a little bit in a conversation in voodoo and Christian possession rituals mm-hmm. where everyone in the community absolutely accepts that's going on. So the social reality supports that type of magic 100%, whether it's a possession from a fundamental Christian getting possessed by a demon, or it's a voodoo possession where you're doing it for the betterment of the community. Everyone 100% believes this exists. 
when you actually are doing stuff like pop fiction magic, everyone believes the opposite, that it is not true. So there's yeah. an additional barrier to make that actually work. And they'll actually justify that by saying, well, see, it didn't work as well. But it comes down to this barrier that they and the people that they have in their social networks do mm -hmm. not believe it's possible. So if you are having your social reality augment that and cement that, and you believe that, that's an echo chamber that will change reality and how reality functions. It will make it so that it cannot work. Right. And actually can be impede other magicians who can get it to work because you have a group of people who are actually echoing that out and that's the bell they're ringing or that's the vibe they're ringing and actually counter to actually doing any kind of pop culture magic. But you get a group of people who all of a sudden can do can believe this and what happens is they can get physical effects right not just physical effects like they can get entities sort of appearing weird temperature changes that's the kind of things that it would be able to do you have to have everyone on board you have to have everyone being able mm -hmm. to buy into this meta reality that it's possible that these things are just channeled or we're just tapping into young in archetypes or some other explanation that you're making up that you're just adopting to right. get past the uh it's just fiction because it's a lot safer if it's just fiction, right? Like, way picture, <laughs> right? You want the gods to be... It does, it does give you a safer feeling of reality anyway. Right. You, gods are clear-cut. They have a clear... They're in myth. Here they are, right? They're part of this culture. You know, but I'm sure that if aliens read our fiction and translated comic books, they would think that we're talking about spirits. Mm -hmm. Like, they, it is the context of the society that determines this and it's also the commodization right people forget storytelling was holy and not too many generations ago right before the industrialized it wasn't a commoditized art storytelling drama all this stuff was dionysian or other gods had writing and storytelling like thought it was all holy telling stories was holy so there wasn't any <laughs> difference between the, making up a story in a bar about a god that's interesting and it kind of fits the character of a god or mm -hmm. a spirit out in the forest from entertainment right uh, but it was considered not commodity it wasn't I, I, considered I a separate i mean thing. really the, the the first form of magic was communication right <laughs> being able to communicate you know, one idea to another person and have them understand it absolutely um how about creating your own system of magic? I mean, I, I mean, I think it takes a real mus a, a real magician is able to create their own system and make almost anything work out of any set of tools, rather than following someone else's grimoire. Well, a real chaos magician certainly should be able to do that, but it's going to take a while. Why is it going to take a while? Because of all the things we just talked about, right? We talked about the pop fiction magic. You have to invest enough confidence in your own ability that your own system of magic can work. Mm -hmm. Now, does it work? Yeah. Once you start doing it, you'll see that your own system of magic will work, depending on how you set it up. You know, you might have to refine it to get some of the holes, that logical holes that once you're working it, you discover. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly possible to build your own system of magic. And believe it or not, most people are somewhere in the middle. They, they have a gumbo. For, I mean, obviously, authors are going to argue because they, there's money involved, right? I like money, too. You know, if you want to pay me, I'll do magic for you, right? I, I, I sell books. But 
most people have this jumbo, jambalaya. You know, it's like a gumbo, more like a gumbo, right? They're throwing stuff in and they're sort of making their own customized system of magic that there's parts that make no sense uh, to anyone but themselves. Because mm-hmm. what is it when you're making your own system? If you make more than one systems, what is it you're doing? You're mapping a symbol set in your head to reality and then applying it. Right. You know? So certainly one of the things that I would like to do is I will make my own system of magic based around fictional things that I write. They're completely fictional. Like they're completely made up from symbols in my mind and stories that I'm telling and writing, you know, not necessarily all of them published. And then basically from there, I'm creating a system of magic based around what happens in the story. It doesn't exist outside of my head. And yet it worked fine. Because there's a set of systems set if to get into systems theory, I understand how the sit the set of symbols interact with the world as it is. Mm-hmm. And I understand how the mechanics of those symbols affect the wheels or the fractals of reality. And I pull the levers, right? There's symbols that relate to how I'm mapping reality in that system. And if you can do that, anyone can make their own system of reality. If you realize you're mapping out reality in your own way, and you're using a map, you're creating a map of reality as you understand it mm-hmm. within a per- certain perspective. So I'm talking about fictional like uh, stuff that are written myself, that's my own system, that the magic works a certain way, because that's how the story is wrote out. That's and I, you know, I'm a writer. I like writing. It's, you know, I don't publish a lot of the stories I write, but it's enjoyable. So I'm going to use that. Other artists also have their own systems that I've seen that are magicians. They can paint things totally based on the colors of, and textures that they put into something mm-hmm. right? because they understand the medium. What do they really understand is what that symbol meet, what those attributes mean and what they're mapping it to the changes and then from there that's if you look at any system of magic you can basically see it is a mapping of symbols to a set of reality constraints that they're moving around Mm -hmm. and once you think about things in a systems approach like this anyone can not only get any system of magic to work they can also create any system of magic they need uh if they're not happy with current systems because you know, they get annoyed or something and they want to just be right. more creative. Perfectly fine. It's like being an artist. I think so. Like, like Van mean, Gogh had I mean, his way of painting versus somebody it, else's way of painting. Now that said, creating your own system takes a lot of work. I've done it. I still use it. Mm-hmm. Use a couple of them. It's so much easier for me to just throw herbs together. Sometimes it'd be like <laughs> connect to the spirit of the plant, bam, yeah, right. Or, or you know, and most of the methods, even in hands-on chaos magic, lend itself to all the things we're talking about. The basic tools of meditation, basic tools. Once you get the basic building blocks, you can take it wherever you want. Go make your own system, or go apply it to a system that currently exists, and it'll work a lot better because you got the basic fundamentals of how you're, you're starting to learn the basic fundamentals of how your brain actually works Mm -hmm. your brain it's not that it all happens in your brain but your brain is the tool 
it really now I would take a more nuanced view of it. You know, the amount of Qigong that I do and everything, I basically use your brain and body, you know, that make it work, but it's a bell. And when you ring that bell, whether it's a fictional thing or not, a fictional thing or something you created wholly, it's still going to work. And other people will do all kinds of self-created systems that are purely derived from what they'll call astral experiences. So I'm talking about fictional ones, some of the systems that are derived, purely derived from astral experiences that I've had. Is mm-hmm. it real? Maybe. Does it work? Yep, they do. And if we're taking a full-on chaos magic approach, if it works, you have to consider it somewhat more valid uh, because it's working. Now, the real test is this if it works for somebody else. Then, right. then you give somebody the system and then it works and you're like, okay, now you might be onto something. That's <laughs> peer review. That's what we call peer review in scientific studies, right? Mm-hmm. Did the experiment work for somebody else? Interesting. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of mind blowing that, that it would work for somebody else almost because it, should. it, it, it is such a, it, in some ways, it's such a personal thing too. And, and before we move on to that though, during the process of like creating though, like your own system, there, I, I would have to think that there is also, um, I don't know, some kind of personal growth that happens doing that. I think it depends on the magician and how they they are working. Mm-hmm. But there is, I would agree, because if you're starting to examine yourself to the point that you can start mapping out the symbols, yeah, and you're almost, putting yourself you, together almost. Yeah, you are putting yourself. <laughs> you're mapping yourself at greater levels now. Even if you do this in a fictional, mm-hmm. you're still you're doing, doing this through a fictional novel. You're still doing it. The self-examination. If you look at yourself enough, it's going to change you. You know, if you're mapping symbols from a story that you created, it's you, right? Mm-hmm. And it's there. And yeah, it's going to change you. And manipulating those symbols because they're coming directly from you to affect the greater reality is going to change you. Probably, you know, expand you or or change shift you or in any way, it's going to actually force you to change. Yeah. Now. I, I haven't seen anyone be able to do this and not have that happen, but I imagine some people could if it's just kind of a maybe they've been doing magic long enough that it just doesn't matter, like, and they can map out a system and get it to work. Mm-hmm. You know, but I'd argue even the creative process that we're going describing changes a person. You know, whether it's fictional, it's art, whether it's pulled from the astral plane, it must change you. Yeah, it has to. It's a, a, yeah, if it's a system that you're actually going to use for reality, if those symbols don't have any weight in your your psyche and your subconscious mind, well, you know, by symbols, I don't just mean sigils. It could be a set of entities. It could be a set of places. It could be almost anything that you're creating the system out of. Um, and that has to have an impact, emotive impact, deep level emotive impact. Otherwise, it can't work. So if you're manipulating those things, it's going to have an effect on you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, in most cases. I'd say 99% of cases. Right. And then if it works for other people, to me that points to, um, I don't know, not that everybody's the same, but there's some, you know, a commonality of reality 
between people. Or you've described the system well enough to describe the keys. And by reading the system, mm. they input the keys into their own mind. Right? Isn't mm. that what we do when we read magic books or importing a set of keys mm -hmm. that then let us manipulate reality and isn't that what goetia is it's a set of keys right yeah, literally yeah. keys of thousands keys like it's a set of keys of symbols that have certain levers that affect reality so it is possible that all these things are true that at one point the creation of a system itself creates sort of astral components or spiritual components by the artifact by the artifice of making the system. It, it forges them on the astral plane. It's also partially probably true that it, and if the system is described well enough, it makes an internalized representation of the system inside of someone else's head. So essentially they have the map, right? Mm -hmm. They have a map. And then basically by putting their emotion and their intention, they get the map to work. You know, that said, you know, we could certainly, this is something <laughs> That if you're going to really test it, you could test it with a group of magicians, right? Right. Especially if they don't have all the set of keys, they don't have all the context, mm -hmm. and you'd see it. It probably rests in a mixture of it does exist outside of themselves and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Like, or they get same symbols and get some similarities and take the system in a different way if they don't have all the context. Right. In my mind, I'm just picturing, like when you say, like a set of keys in the map. I'm like, I just picture like giving somebody a set of car keys in the map and they get in the car and they go to a certain place. Yeah. It's yeah. like that simple of a <laughs> process. Well, I mean, the process of actually. I mean, I know it takes work because you actually have to drive right. there, obviously, but. And you have to actually, I mean, in magical terms, you have to internalize that map. So it isn't mm -hmm. just like you get the symbol set and you're good to go. It's like you have to actually own it. So it's not unlike the herb conversation we're having. It has to be part of you for it to actually be able to move the lovers of reality. So maybe Which, it's like, like, like again, like like driving. Like you ever drive around so much that it's just like an autopilot. You're on autopilot. You don't even think about it because. I think that's an excellent metaphor. Once you've gotten to the point that the. The map is on autopilot. Then, mm -hmm. then you just do this, do, do the magic. That's why you study. That's why people classically study magic. This is what they're trying to. It's not described that way, but that's what I believe they're trying to get to. The point that the map is on autopilot. You believe that the angels are real and the demons are real. So there's such a point that you just pull the levers, or that they're inside your head, but they change you to such degree that it just works. You don't have to think about it because you got right. the map in your head. You know how it all puts together, mm -hmm. right? That's that's why people spend so much time arguing on Facebook and studying <laughs> magic all the time and getting all the correspondences done. They're literally trying to get the map, not just inside their head. They're trying to get inside the map inside their head, like trying to get an herb connection. So it's so deep. When you call out the names of God in ceremonial magic, that you, it is God to you. It is that lever, right? That part of God, right? Each time, it's not just an intellectual process, right? Like Likewise, when you give someone the map of a new system, they have to basically pull that down into them mm -hmm. to the point that it is that, that is 
that simple and reality is it the same thing? And to do that, that that basically is a lot like the process we described with the herb, where you're playing with it, you're iterating, you're kind of touching it more. And the truth is, is that every system of magic ultimately becomes a magician's. And what I mean by that is there's nothing that isn't experimental. Whether you create a new system and give it to someone else or it's an old system, until you make it your own, it isn't a system that you can get results from, you know? And for the people who argue, well, I just did a poetic summoning and it worked. I guarantee your whole social network backs up the idea that summoning goetic spirits works. So you have that in your head already. As in, you already have that belief. It's right. a meta belief. Right? right, just like the possession. About the it's just like the possessions. Again, it's just like your social network supporting that. Like, you know, and then there's also like people tend to find the people that believe like them, right? That's a the echo chamber effect. So yeah. if you want to believe, you'll find people who believe that it works some way and it will because you'll find those people and they'll echo it. And having those people around you make it more likely that it's going to happen because they keep repeating mm-hmm. um, the same things to you, uh, which also for everyone listening should make people wonder about reality. Like, well, we're really like, it works that way. Yeah, in practice, like and if you start paradigm shifting and get into different social groups, you'll see this, you actually can test this and it happens. It makes reality even weirder. Yes. Reality is absolutely bizarre. Exactly, because these things that shouldn't work definitely do. Yeah. Because we need different models when we're talking about magic. We need different models of reality. Scientists need different models of reality, I think, to basically start coming to grips with what we're probably on the threshold of, like, soon. Yeah, I think we, you know, I think... Now, especially, like, I think we're lucky to kind of live during this time where there is a, like, it's like science and magic were, were once the same thing, and then it split apart, and now we're living in a time where they're beginning to come, come back together again. I think in the future, we won't have magicians. We'll have intuitive hyperspace engineers or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like cyberspace glitch mechanics. Mm-hmm. Some phrases like that that don't sound like magician or wizard or witch, but yet they're there, you know, or intuitive <laughs> mathematicians. Reality engineer. <laughs> Reality engineer, right. Stuff like that. I mean, maybe that's too blatant. I, I, I For a while, I would go around saying I was a reality engineer because I thought, yeah, that, that, there you go. Uh, <laughs> right. But that's closer to what we're describing. You know, it's a, a, although it takes some of the romanticism away from magic, it also allows people to get much better results when they start thinking about magic this way, when they start approaching it from this kind of scientific way, even making your own system. It, it, it makes sense if you start testing the results and you, you're seeing where the holes are, or where it doesn't quite work or doesn't work. I'm convinced mm-hmm. there's a lot of books right now that are out published. They're people's own systems. They might have been inspired by originally something they were exposed to, but they're really their own systems. And then they're explained well enough that it you can get it to work. Yeah. And, and I think that's a fantastic thing because 
the more that's out there, because different things are going to resonate with different people, obviously, and different, you know, like one system is not going to resonate with everybody. So I think it's great to have the the more out there, the the more accessible it is for people to get better results. I guess is what I'm trying to say. For stumbling over this one, <laughs> I, I think that's 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 mostly true. I mean, the second thing that prevents people from actually getting results is just the work. You know, people coming on your show, other authors talking about pop magic. They're not telling you how many months they spent actually working on the process. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. It's a lot. I guarantee you. It's 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 a it was a lot for me. Right, so you're talking about an art that yeah. takes months. Each thing takes months and months and months to work out. Why? Because you're asking questions about reality. What are the mechanics behind the scene? Like, why does it work? So at this point, we come full circle. Like, we are talking about mysticism in a way, but not in the classic sense of mysticism. We are talking about spirituality, but not in the blind faith way. Right asking questions like what are the mechanics of reality that this stuff actually works? What are the limits? You know, which is often a very important question. What is the limits of how this could work? You know, are there limits? I don't think there are, but right. At least not for us. (laughs) Exactly. You know, it's like one of the questions I, I think I got asked on TV is like, well, if you can move magic around, why aren't you a millionaire yet? And you know what I told them is straight out, I wasn't ready to be a millionaire yet. Mm-hmm. I got to work to get there. Not just mentally, positively think about myself being a millionaire, but I have to work to become able to be a millionaire. That means life changes, life choices. That means making decisions that I have to do and using the magic to get lucky around the way. Like it has to be part of me. Right. And most people have poverty demons. As in, it takes time to overcome that. And maybe you can't overcome it. Maybe you can't get there in one lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know? maybe, maybe you don't get there, you know, in the journey. But ultimately, all the things we're describing, the journey itself is important in some of the destinations. Like, right. I wouldn't stop being a magician. Like, even if I get punched in the, the nuts, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get back up and be a magician. And I'm going to fix stuff. And I'm going to move forward, right? Like, just because that happened doesn't make me not a magician. It just means that life happens, yeah. right? So it is who we are. It's who we are. It's it's this process of trying to understand and interact with reality, with the safeties off, right? Religion's the safeties on. Right. This is the safeties off. Like safeties off. Like okay. Right. You know. What can we possibly learn? Right. I, I like the the millionaire analogy because. You really can't know what it's like to be a millionaire unless you know what it's like to actually go through the process of becoming a millionaire from rags to riches and everything in between. Right. And this is where we hold ourselves back, right? I mean, I've actually, this is a hard one, right? I've just been studying millionaires, modeling them, trying to figure it out. Like everyone's got a different story. There's a lot of different pieces to those stories, but they all seem, except for people got really handed a lot of money, have similarities. So you could start starting there, right? Then you have other questions. Is it worth it? (laughs) Everyone says yes before they start. 
looking at the models. And then they have to wonder how many people would work 120 hours a week? Or maybe not 120 hours. Maybe it's maybe it's 90. Mm-hmm. For three, four years. Is it worth it? Because a lot of the stories sound like that, you know, for people who weren't gifted that from birth, right? Like they didn't have to start with an inheritance. Not all the stories, but a lot of them do. And those people who are out there are business owners, you know, you realize like, even though like I have a, I'm a co-owner of an acupuncture clinic, right? In Toronto, and we're starting to run a store. It's a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. Could it take off in a few years? Probably a million dollar business, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's a hard niche for that. But will, will it be enough to make all my family and my business partner's family survive? Probably. But we're already working like 60, 70 hours. Right. You know, at the limit that I'm able to. Mm-hmm. You know, you could, other people might say, that is not worth it. <laughs> when you actually start thinking about what it would take, it's not worth uh-huh. it. Right? I have a day job and I have this business. People say that's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And if once you say it's not worth it, you've decided it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Right? Magically speaking, you can't just enchant for it. It's no longer a consistent story. Right. It's no longer consistently you. I understand. You've, you've made it, you've kind of set the mode. So, I mean, and that in lines like you could write a whole system of magic to try to do just this. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen because you've decided that's not the level. You've seen the models, decided you don't want to do that. Then you have to come up with a different model or a different story and then ritualize that. You know, and then act on it. Right. It takes work. Yeah. It takes momentum. You know, just like my podcast. Like I work forty hours a day, forty hours at my regular job, and probably with the podcast is about another twenty five hours a week. You know. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it's, it takes up a lot of time, a lot of work. But uh, I mean, now it's starting to pay off because I got that momentum. I put a whole bunch of energy behind it, pushed it forward. And now it's starting to roll on its own. Right. Exactly. And maybe now you're getting to the point that, you know, you could start hiring someone else to do production. I mean, like, that's what I did. Like, mm-hmm. I have a podcast, but I, I don't have enough time to do it every week or multiple times a week. I do it once every two weeks. So I'm not making as much progress as I should, but I still pay someone to do post-production. Because I have enough wealth to actually do that. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing. I'm at the place where I can do that, where I can start acting like a supervisor. Because I do supervise. Mm-hmm. Like in my day job, I'm a supervisor. Mentally, I'm there. I'm willing to outsource it. I have enough resources because I'm at the place where I'm used to supervising. So the resources are just there to hire someone to supervise it. Like now, people like who are just that, you know, day laborers or work in a restaurant, there's no judgment there. They have not gotten to the point in kind of development that they can see themselves as a supervisor yet. Mm-hmm. And when they start seeing themselves and feeling and being that, they can start enchanting for promotions because the door's open. Right. You know, at that point, the magic, the magic is the part of the story that gives you an excuse to make it happen in a way. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Oh, man, this was a really interesting interview. Thanks for coming on. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you got, reached out to me. Yeah. I'd love to come on again. You're welcome back. You're welcome back anytime, bud. <laughs> this is really fascinating. Um, so before we wrap it up, though, where can my listeners find you? So you can come to my website, which, you know, I'm rebuilding right now, andreavidimus.com. Uh, but if you're in the Toronto area, you should come to our acupuncture clinic, wujizian.ca, and, and come visit us. We'll have, we'll have a spiritual store there sooner or later once, once COVID ends. We can do <laughs> acupuncture right now, though. <laughs> awesome. Well, I will definitely post a link to your website. I'll post a link to your books on Amazon. And uh, if your uh, acupuncture place has a website, too, I'll be more than happy to post that, too in the notes of this episode. Well, thank you. All right. Well, hang on one second, and I'm just going to play the outro. This was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.